The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Woo! What a full agenda we have this week. It is, we got lots of stuff to talk about, just jam-packed with advice, with news, with information, with hijinks, with amazing interviews with awesome guests. Our guest coming up later in the show, guitar legend and organizer of the KWS Backroads Blues Festival, Kenny Wayne Shepard is joining us. Pretty excited for that. Love it when the music legends stop by at Break the Business and come and hang out with us. And speaking of music legends, our co-host this week, Zach Sloan, joining us. Hey, Zach. Music le- Music legend. Uh, who who me no 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 you can't throw on a music legend put me and kenny wayne in the same sentence i just did that is unfair to kenny wayne shepherd <laughs> i just did you now live in a world where your name has been mentioned within 10 seconds of kenny wayne shepherd's name and there has not been a criminal complaint attached to that so that's good <laughs> it's good to see you man how you been dude i am good i mean you know fatherhood got a one-year-old and change now you're you're getting what kiddo about eight months is that right seven eight yeah i, I yeah. i've lost count i'm exhausted i can't dude, sleep I'm just... i just said zero people be like how old's your kid i'd be like zero i'll tell you when they're one <laughs> like yeah it, i'm exhausted too but that's just that's how it rolls Yes. So I think between the two of us, Zach, we are like we are the equivalent of one awake human. Like, Agreed. you know, you're about 65 percent awake because your kids are older, I'm about 35 percent awake. Between the two of us, we are one functioning human trying to do a radio show here. I would I would agree. And I would I would what I want to compare next is so you and I together, one functioning human. But what about our wives? Because my wife gets less sleep than me because she feeds the baby and I can't physically do that. So I I'm curious if we add then our wives to the equation, are we a full two people between the four of us? Or are we like one and a half? <laughs> That's very good. I mean, I I'm convinced as, as with my wife and I'm sure you feel the same about your wife. They're, they're really each of them like more than one human. Oh my with, God. Yes. With the force of nature that, that mothers are and just, Seeing like the amazing things that my wife does, like being the greatest mom ever and, you know, just seeing the connection she has with uh, our little one, it it blows my mind. Blows my mind. Women are incredible. Word. (laughs) This is some serious baby math going on right now. Mm -hmm. It's like pregnancy brain afterwards. You guys are like, numbers don't make sense. I've already forgotten what numbers I gave out because I'm (laughs) so unbelievably sleep deprived. Now, Zach. Turning our attention to our guest coming up later, Kenny Wayne <laughs> Shepard. Okay, so I know of him. I, you know, I certainly am an admirer of his work and what he's achieved. I got nothing but good things to say about him. You, however, are obsessed. You are a legit fan. When I told you Kenny Wayne Shepard was coming on this week, you lost it. Dude, 
Uh, so he's celebrating the 25th anniversary of his album Trouble Is coming out, which yep. means I have been listening to him for 25 years because <laughs> I bought that record right after it came out. Um, he is, as a blues-based rock guitarist like I am, it would be impossible not to be hugely influenced by Kenny Wayne Shepherd. I am over the moon that we have this dude on the, on the podcast. It's ridiculous. I kind of want to take advantage of that. If you're really like the big, big fan here, I kind of just, maybe I should just like step out and grab a beer while you and Kenny Wayne Shepherd just have a great conversation during this interview. I mean, I, I wonder if the viewers and listeners would be better served by just a real fan leading that conversation. We should give that some thought. I'm all, I'm on board. I already have my notes. I'm ready to ask questions. We're good to go. You have notes? Dude, you're armed with Kenny paperwork? This is Kenny Wade Shepard, man. <laughs> Kenny Wade Shepard deserves notes. You, he, I always do show prep, but when I also get to nerd out about one of my favorite guitar players, I do additional show prep. This is going to be great. So we got Kenny Wade Shepard. We got some great uh, music news stories to talk about. We've got uh, the AI Overlords tip of the week. That's always a crowd yeah. pleaser. And before we get to the AI Overlords, uh, we'll have the, the Overlords wait for just a second here because I have to talk to you, Zach. About something that we were talking about before the show that we have, we both just cannot get out of our heads. I'm going to go ahead and play the entertainment law news sounder because I guess this is technically entertainment law news. Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. <laughs> it's entertainment law news, at least to the extent that it is legal news and it involves an entertainer in what has to be the most completely insane unhinged lawsuit i have seen for a long time so zach you and i were talking about this let me go ahead and catch the viewers and listeners up over the weekend it was reported by tmz that a woman is suing lady gaga for i think 1.5 million dollars between half a million and 1.5 million dollars for a breach of contract suit. And hey, musicians, they get involved in lawsuits all the time. It's the reason why I can pay my mortgage. But this particular lawsuit was kind of wild. Let me take the viewers and listeners back a little bit, okay? In 2021, you might recall that two of Lady Gaga's dogs were actually robbed or, or uh, stolen at gunpoint. Uh, Lady Gaga's dog walker was walking these two dogs. Uh, these two assailants came out of a car, held up the dog walker at gunpoint, shot the dog walker, and kidnapped the dogs. When this happened, Lady Gaga, doing what uh, well-resourced dog lovers can do, put out a sizable reward for the dog's safe return, a $500,000 reward, and even put in the reward, no questions asked, because... You know, look, we dog lovers, we understand. We just want our dogs back, and we, you know, we don't care how we get it. We just, we just want our dogs home. I get you, Lady Gaga. I feel for that. Sure. I feel it for sure. I'm telling you, like if, if look, it, look, I, I ain't hating on her charging. Like if I had Lady Gaga's money and I lost my dog, I mean, I, uh, a, a five hundred thousand dollar reward, a five hundred thousand dollar reward would not be out of the question. But anyway, the dogs wind up getting returned. Um, by a woman who was later charged with basically participating in the criminal enterprise of stealing this dog. She pled no contest to receipt of stolen property, having the dogs in her possession, and she was the one who returned to them. Now, two years later, it's now 2023, she is suing Lady Gaga for breach of contract, saying, hey, you put out that $500,000 reward, 
I returned your dogs. I met the requirements to get that $500,000 reward. Never mind that I pled no contest and knowing receipt of stolen property and was involved in the enterprise allegedly to steal your dogs. Um, I demand my money. That reward poster is a contract and you've breached it. I want to get paid. Oh, and also, uh, I'm accusing you of fraud, so I get triple damages, so I want $1.5 million. I mean, I don't know if she's ever going to be able to find a win in this lawsuit, but she has certainly found the audacity. <laughs> the audacity <laughs> is certainly there. And 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 the lawyer who brought this case, God, I wish I had that level of courage in anything in my life. I mean, I like the idea that this judge or this lawyer is going to have to stand before a judge in LA County, stare that judge in the face and say, my client is entitled to this money. I mean, that is courage. That person, like, I feel like we should take that person and send them to Ukraine to like face down the Russians because there is nobody more courageous than that human being. <laughs> Ryan, there is a fine line between courage and stupidity. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not well, sure. Well, as a fellow member of the California Bar, I would never accuse any lawyer of that. But I will I accuse them of, of having audacity. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I say this in jest. I'm not. There are probably things about this case I do not know. However, the absurdity <laughs> of this. Like... I I don't know, man. I, I have stood in front of judges, and I have made arguments that I thought were fantastic, and I thought I had it, and I thought I had all the answers, and they were just like, you're a moron. And I really thought I had it. Like, I don't... I Dude, I words, I don't know, man. This, <laughs> this is the weirdest crap I've encountered. This is it's, so odd. It is pretty wild. I I can't believe it. I just... I mean, I, I feel like I, you know, when you and I, you know, be, being lawyers, Zach, we, we've seen a lot and it takes a lot to surprise us. This surprises me. Dude, this I, I was, was legitimately taken aback by. I was a child abuse attorney and I have never seen, I mean, I've seen things more horrific, but I've never seen anything this insane. <laughs> <laughs> like I've done employment law. I've done all kinds of stuff, but yeah. like this like when I opened up the article you sent, I read it twice thinking it was the onion. <laughs> that That's no joke. I honestly, the first time I read it, I was like, this can't be real. There's I no feel like if somebody pitched this to the editor in chief of the onion, like if one of the reporters said, Hey, I want to do this story. Even the like editor at the onion would say, Oh no, we can't run this. This is too ridiculous. Is, even for us. This is insane. Yeah, dude, I don't know, I th but I think there's common ground that we can all get behind is those dogs are really adorable, and I understand why she yeah. offered five. Look at those no, dogs. They're worth 500 grand dogs. each as far as I'm concerned. Those, That's a good point. And look at those faces. Like those, I mean, there's, they're priceless. Here, I mean, look, I'll tie it in this sense to indie creators because this is a podcast about indie creators after all. Here's the lesson I think we can learn from this, Okay. If the lawyer who brought this case had the courage to bring this case, <laughs> you as an indie creator have the courage to follow your dreams. 
because no matter how crazy your dreams are, it is not as unhinged as what this lawyer is attempting in this particular lawsuit. I concur. <laughs> and I would also yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, oh, my good. Dude. All right. We Dude. need a palate cleanser. Let's go ahead and do the AI Overlords tip of the week. For the uninitiated, what we do with the AI Overlord tip of the week is we ask our AI Overlord, ChatGPT, to give us a piece of advice for indie creators. And normally the way I do it is we just ask ChatGPT, we say to ChatGPT, hey, we host a podcast for indie creators, radio show podcast for indie creators. Give us a tip this week to help the indie creators move their careers forward. But this week, Zach, I wanted to put, I wanted to challenge the AI overlord a little bit. I wanted to kind of spice things up with the, uh, with the GPT prompt. And so what I did this week, Zach, is I, I asked it to kind of play a role for us. Okay. Instead of just giving us a straight up tip, here's what I said. I said to the GPT prompt, give us advice from the perspective of a burned out former record executive who has seen the dark side of the music industry and now give us the tip. So with that, with that, uh, prompt, I've given the, uh, the GPT some motivation, right? Like I'm the director giving the actor, here's the scene, here's your motivation and action. And here's what the overlord has given to us as a burned out former record executive who has seen the dark side of the music industry. <laughs> Okay, Score. right out the gate, just a quick note, a little forced, <laughs> you know, show not tell, you don't have to just throw it out there right in the beginning, but, you know, it's an acting choice. Okay, so that's how, that's how it starts. As a burned out former record executive who's seen the dark side of the music industry, my advice to independent artists is to think twice before signing a record deal and giving up control of their music. Record labels often promise to help artists achieve fame and fortune, but in reality, they are businesses that are primarily focused on making money. Signing a record deal usually means giving up the rights to your music, which can limit your creative control and your ability to profit from your work. In addition, record labels often take a large percentage of an artist's income, leaving little room for the artist to make a living. Instead of signing a record deal, consider retaining the copyrights to your recordings and exploring alternative ways to distribute and promote your music, such as streaming services, social media, and live performances. While it, take a little, it may take a little more effort to build a fan base and achieve success on your own, you'll have the freedom to create the music you want and keep more of the profits. Remember, the music industry can be a tough place, but with hard work and dedication, you can achieve success on your own. Ooh. Can I paraphrase? Yeah. I have a quote that will paraphrase this. The music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side. Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> I like that. Yep. Hunter S. Thompson here for the win. So I'm also a little troubled by the fact that the break the business book that I wrote, which is basically like this same kind of idea. So it took me 60,000 words in that <laughs> book for, you know, it took it took me six thousand words for the for Chad GPT to say it in like a hundred words, mm -hmm. and for Hunter S. Thompson to say the same thing in like twenty words. <laughs> yeah, but you you're a lawyer and you had to go through some of the legal 
pieces to this. So I'm giving you a pass. And you told a great story about sharks. Yeah. Oh, the sh- oh yeah, the shark stories. Go, go get one. your fish. Yeah. Go go. <laughs> wow. See, that's how we know Zach actually read the book. Unlike most of the people who just you know said they read the book. But I look. I think there's something to explore here with having Chat GPT. Uh, kind of challenging it a bit. I thought he kind of forced this one a little bit by just using the first sentence to say that he was a burned out former record executive. But I think we can have fun with this. Uh, Maybe I get Lauren's perspective on this too. What do you think, Lauren and Zach, in subsequent episodes, we try to get the AI overlord to give the tips, but to like have to put certain phrases in, like we take our favorite movie quotes or something, or just really funny phrases and say, you have to give us a tip, but you must use this funny phrase or this movie quote in your response and see if it can do it. Ooh, I don't know. Just, I just want like, to challenge I'm, technology I'm partly a yay and I'm partly nay on that one because I'm like, part of the fun is A, that we don't guide it. And, <laughs> and B, after it like took your comment this week and was like, I'll just put it as the first sentence and then give advice. I'm like, that was right. a little lazy. Yeah, so is it going to, like, comment and then halfway through just be like, random quote, continue my thought. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. We can try it. If so I like, it, chat it, be- sorry, I was just going to, so, Go. like, you're, what you're saying, Lauren, is if we tell ChatGPT to give us a, a tip and then say at the end, like, Baba, you know, and then and somewhere in there, say Baba Booey, it's just going to give us the tip and then just say Baba Booey at the end and we're not going right. to get the payoff? Yeah, exactly. I don't think that'll happen because... <laughs> As a demonstration of what ChatGPT was capable of, I had it briefing case law as John Madden, and it crushed it. What? It would say things like, this person went by this by John Doe to preserve their anonymity. Their real name was. I was like, man, it even nailed the lack of self-awareness. Like, it's just... <laughs> like, I think, I think I'm for it, Ryan. If you want to do it just when I'm on, I'm happy to... I'm, and boom, he has subject matter jurisdiction. <laughs> It's, well, it says he's boom. Yes. If you give it that prompt, so. then you also have to read it under that persona. Mm. Yes. So it's more of a challenge for you too, Ryan. You're gonna be like, I'd like you to do it as though you're from the deep south, and then you're gonna have to read it as oh. though you too are. From Everybody the deep south. would want that. I think. Yes. <laughs> the the barometer by which people find this podcast entertaining is directly linked to how much I get humiliated on this show. So I think that's going to be a crowd pleaser. Like people already think it's hilarious that this AI has already kind of taken over a third of my job on this show. So I think anything that just makes like also takes my job and makes me look silly is just going to be a crowd pleaser We're for the in. audience. All right. So I We're guess that's in. a yes for next week. All right. We'll, we'll try something like that next week and see how we do. <laughs> Um, other cool news, Zach, that, uh, you know, I was pretty excited about, uh, our friends over at TuneCore had a pretty cool announcement to make. I I don't know if this is something that's come up for you a lot, uh, when you're self-distributing music, but certainly as a producer, this is going to be a big deal for you. Uh, for the first time, TuneCore has announced that they are going to offer automatic royalty splits in their distribution. So for example, like Zach, you're a producer. And so I uh, imagine on some of your products, you get a piece of all the money that's made on the master. You're getting like your 10%, 15%, whatever it is, 25%. And you probably have to get paid by the artist where the artist collects mm-hmm. the money and then they're paying you quarterly or they're paying you monthly, or sometimes they forget to pay you and then you have to go find the money and it's a big pain. 
So what TuneCore is doing is they are going to handle it all in the software now. So now when you distribute your music through TuneCore, you can now set it where you can tell TuneCore, uh, I want 25% of the money that you collect from all the streaming services to go to my producer or to go to uh, you know, the other person that owns the record with me, or maybe two people made this, the record together and they're going to split it 50, 50, but now TuneCore handles that for you. So you don't have to do the accounting on your own. You don't have to like foster mistrust with somebody else. Oh, are they hiding money from me? TuneCore is going to take care of all of it. And all I can say is finally, because yeah. distro kid has been doing this for a long time. And it's actually why I've been kind of guiding a lot of my clients toward DistroKid, particularly the ones that work with producers. And it's a shame because I've really liked TuneCore, but I know my clients and I know that if they don't, if if, they're, if the service doesn't handle the splits for them, it's going to just create problems for them down the road. So I say DistroKid will take care of this. But now that TuneCore takes care of this, that's, that's going to be a huge problem solver for a lot of creators who use that platform. Well, nothing will ruin your relationship with an artist who's become your friend like when you ask for an accounting um <laughs> i can tell you that there are artists who i had great relationships with i made a record with and then i asked for an accounting and i just never heard from them again and it, we ran into each other in the music scene here in colorado and it was an awkward conversation um this is fantastic what i want to know ryan and you know this better than i do so we know what TuneCore's is up to we know what DistroKid's up to does cd baby offer something similar at this juncture not of which i'm aware me either. Um, and this was something like because I because this is something where from what I've seen of the major streaming service, this was unique to DistroKid and they kind of held on to this for a long time. And TuneCore even admitted as much because when they put out the announcement, uh, I think a couple days ago, announcing that they were going to put in this splits feature, they acknowledged the fact that, yes, we know our users have been harassing us for years to yeah. set this up. And, you know, it, but it's not an easy process. Like, obviously, anything involving money gets very, very tricky. And I hope that TuneCore's splits feature, which I haven't had a chance to sample yet, is dynamic enough to handle the realities of working with producers. So, for example, many producers who get paid on the back end of a music project, get their 10%, get their 25%, as you know, Zach, often don't get paid right away. Usually, you might set something up that says, before you get your... Uh, before you get your 25%, I get to recoup your producer fee first. Mm -hmm. And so is the system going to be dynamic enough to handle that where you can say, I want to give this producer a split, but not yet. And, uh, you know, right. I'll set it up later. And DistroKid does give you that flexibility. I'm hoping that TuneCore is going to be that dynamic too. Well, and that's an important thing, right? Because a lot of this, and again... I'm, I'm going to say I'm not an entertainment law lawyer, but I will say this as an attorney. When you're setting up these arrangements with your producers or if, as a producer with your client, get all this in writing, get a good contract in place so it's as clear as possible because this accounting gets muddy very quickly. Yep. And I have had situations with artists where I don't think they were acting in bad faith. I think they were just confused. And if there's something that is set up to where it will automatically handle this, it eliminates that problem. Absolutely. And I mean, th that is a great point that you intimated there, Zach, that if you are a producer and you do these kind of deals with artists where you're expecting to get paid something on the back end for whatever the master creates when it gets you know out on the streaming services or whatever, you got to get this in writing. Even if you yeah. think you have a simple deal, because I hear this from the producers all the time. They're like, look, 
I know what deal I have with the artist. I told the artist that uh, I'm going to get 20% and the artist agrees. And so we don't need to get that in writing. I, I know I know what 20% means. Like, we're not going to fight about it later. Okay, fine. You got 20%. Is that 20% paid before you recoup? Is it paid after you recoup? How often do you get paid on it? Is it quarterly? Is it monthly? Are you going to set something up in TuneCore? Is it just 20% of the royalty or do you actually own 20% of the master? And you might think you know the answer to these as the producer, but I'm guessing if you talk to the artist, they're going to have a very different understanding of the deal. And so that's why you got to get this stuff in writing with a real honest to God producer agreement. Absolutely. And I, I can tell you from talking to a lot of producers that I know, the producers oftentimes don't really know either. So get yourself a good entertainment law attorney who can handle this type of thing because it is sticky and it is difficult. All right. I got time for one more story to talk to you about, Zach, and before we bring in Kenny Wayne Shepard. And I'll let you I'll let you pick it. All right. And and this isn't one of these things like we've done in the past where I secretly want one of the two stories. I'm going to get mad if you pick the wrong one. I'm equally happy with each of these stories. We just Don't have about it. five minutes before we all want to bring on Kenny Wayne Shepard, which is why we're all here. Word. And so I don't want to delay him too much longer. But would you rather us talk about um, what the CEO of Ticketmaster said recently about uh, ticket fees? Or do you want to talk about... A uh, recent article by our friend Chris Robley and Hypebot about how uh, tick sharing music on TikTok is changing the way we launch music. Oh, dude. You know what? Last time I was on, we talked Ticketmaster. Let's go TikTok. All right. Very well. They're, they're both excellent stories. But naturally, you know, Chris Robley, friend of the podcast, we've had him on a bunch of times, and uh, he's, he's tremendous. He's over at CD Baby. He's a great musician. He wrote a cool article in Hypebot recently about uh, how to use TikTok to get fans excited about new music. And basically the thesis of his article was talking about how TikTok is sort of changing what it means to launch music and what the music launch process looks like. Because for a long time, the first thing that you did in a music launch, if you're doing a proper music launch, is either you're doing you know maybe some kind of social media announcement or some kind of blog article or something where you're announcing to the world, hey, this new track is coming out. The one thing you never want to do, as the conventional wisdom says, is you never just want to release the song, right? The releasing of the song is one of the later steps in the launch process. You got to build a little anticipation first. Do a little promotion, sometimes a few weeks of promotion, where you're making lyric videos of your track. You're showing uh, acoustic performances of your track. You're showing some behind the scenes of how your song came together to build up anticipation so that you slowly get to boom, the launch of your, the release of your track. Right. And maybe you have a, you know, some festivities around it. What Chris Robley is saying is that TikTok is now kind of the new place where all that launch takes place. And according to Chris's article, one of the things that you can do to begin the launch process, if you're building a release around TikTok, the very first thing is to put out a clip of the song as a, uh, as a clip on TikTok, as audio on TikTok that other people can use. You know, a 15, 30-second clip, Makes uh, sense. particularly a distinctive piece of the song that people can use in their videos. Maybe you try to build some kind of viral video segment around it. And then, and that's how you start. You don't put the full album out right away. Instead, you get people really excited about that 30 seconds so that what are they saying in the comments? 
When's this going to be on Spotify? Why is this not on Spotify yet? I want to see this on Spotify. Get people, you know, foaming at the mouth to experience this track on Spotify, but you don't put it on Spotify yet. As the uh, article notes, now this is where you get into the good stuff. You start bringing in a bunch of different videos showing the song happening in different settings. He highlights the group that we've talked about on this show before, Walk Off the Earth who are masters at this in terms of dropping little breadcrumbs about your upcoming release. So, for example, when Walk Off the Earth put out their new song, My Stupid Heart, they created several videos after they launched the clip of this song on TikTok where they showed the song getting played in different ways. So they had one video where they played the song by tapping on fruits and vegetables. They hooked the fruits and vegetables up to electrodes so that it would produce a sound when you hit the fruit. And then they played the song using fruits and vegetables. Super funny, went super viral. They recorded another version that we talked about on the show with Katie Zaccardi of one of the kids of one of the band members singing the crap out of the song, and it sounded amazing. It was actually so good that they actually put out a separate version of that song and released it on Spotify because the kid just did such a great job with it. They did another version of the song where they played the song on a giant guitar. They put out an acoustic version of the song on TikTok. But basically, they did all these wild, interesting videos involving the song on TikTok, all a part of the launch process to build anticipation to the song until finally, boom, the release day comes. Everybody's excited about the track and the the track exploded on Spotify. So two things. A, that all sounds genius. That's a whole lot of work. And so you got to really make sure you give yourself the lead time to get all that done. But I think that, I think what Chris is saying there makes one heck of a lot of sense. Um, But don't rush it. Make sure you've got the time to get that kind of stuff done. I know with my band, we just released our new album um, a week or two weeks ago now and like getting music videos together. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Dear Mark, dear Marsha rocks. But um, if, but like getting music videos and lyric videos to that, was difficult and time consuming and we didn't do all of those steps. Um, so budget yourself some time if you're going to do that. And Ryan, is this a re- is this another reason to consider more of a singles market so that you're able to sort of build in time for each individual single to do? Yeah, this? treat every single one of those releases as its own launch, right? You can yeah. do so much with just an individual song like Walk Off the Earth did. And to your point, it reminds me kind of of uh, the famous Dolly Parton quote, it costs a lot of money to look this cheap. Those videos that Walk Off the Earth did, they look simple, right? Like they look, they are meant by design to look like they didn't require a lot of effort, but they required a lot of effort, right? They, those videos take a lot of staging. They take a lot of rehearsals. I'm guessing some of those videos had, you know, 50 outtakes that they didn't use to get the Mm -hmm. one best version, but it looks authentic, right? It looks like they're just filming stuff around their house. But, right, you need to be prepared if you're going to make a TikTok video campaign part of your launch that you're going to be investing a lot of time and resources and energy into making those videos terrific one after another. I'll tell you, you thought guitar players were particular about their guitar tone. Wait till you try and uh, electrify a watermelon. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got to find the I right can't. watermelon, the right density, the right size. It's tough. All right, that's I can't way different emphasize. than Strat versus Telly. I can't, I can't emphasize enough how cool that like hooking electrodes to fruit video was it's absolutely wild all right let us collect ourselves we're going to take a quick break and be joined by kenny wayne shepherd joining us next on break the business don't go anywhere ryan corella here i hope you're enjoying the show and i hope that you're getting a lot out of it 
I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. I got a pretty delightful viewer comment here that, uh, speaking of our Lady Gaga story, one of our viewers (laughs) writes in, did the lawyer get to meet Lady Gaga out of this? Maybe that was the plan all along. Have we considered that possibility? Like, did he file this lawsuit just so he could meet Lady Gaga? Because I might be willing to do that. I've compromised my morals for less. I I mean, like, look, I'm licensed to practice law in three states. I'm willing to burn one of those bar cards if it means getting to hang out with Lady Gaga. True story. (laughs) Ryan Carella here with Zach Sloan here on Break the Business on Sirius XM 145 and all major podcast and live streaming platforms. Wherever you're checking us out, we're just glad you're checking us out. And we're glad uh, to be joined by our guest this week. Let's go ahead and bring him on. He is a five-time Grammy-nominated blues rock guitar icon who has organized the KWS Backroads Blues Festival, a traveling music event that will be crisscrossing the country this summer with the first two shows featuring Joe Bonamassa and Solomon Hicks. His latest release, Trouble Is 25, is available now. We are happy to welcome Kenny Wayne Shepard on to break the business. Hello, sir. It is an honor to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. How are you? I'm we are doing great, man. <laughs> so you, you'll probably be able to ascertain pretty quickly, Kenny, that Zach is a monster fan of yours. He he might. Oh, there it is. Right Look at it, like, this is the this is the year it came out. Ah. That's yeah, that's the original right there. Yes, indeed. Um, I was pretty surprised in researching you and just you know obviously you know knowing your work and everything but uh, pretty surprised to find out and i saw this on your wikipedia can you confirm whether this is true is it true that your guitar skills are completely self-taught well i would say yeah uh, yes but but in saying that you also have to understand that nobody learns any instrument without somebody showing them some stuff along the way and so you know i had people 
uh, one on one, you know, there was a family friend named Tommy Kramer who was a radio guy and he played guitar and he sat down with me, taught me how to tune a guitar. He taught me, you know, the importance of vibrato and things like that. You know, he showed me my first pentatonic scale and stuff like that. But ultimately, you know, I tried a couple of guitar lessons here and there, but at, at the point that I tried guitar lessons, I had already been playing for a few years. And I had developed this real tedious process. I, I play by ear. And so I would just kind of like back then it was, you know, I had cassettes. This was even probably right on the verge of CDs coming out. And, um, you know, I would start at the beginning of the song and I would find the first chord or the first note of the song and then rewind it back to the beginning and then find the first and the second note. And I would literally just piece an entire song together from beginning to end. And even though it wasn't probably the fastest way to learn, that was what was working for me. So, you know, when I tried lessons, it kind of felt like learning somebody else's way wasn't really doing it for me. You already kind of set up this procedure for doing things. And so, you know, if you were learning by ear, was I mean, there was no like formal music training or anything like no. that. Like you weren't sight reading or you know, you're learning no. quarter notes or anything like that. No, as a matter of fact, when I was in middle school, they had a guitar class. <clears throat> this lady taught guitar. And at that point, I'd already been playing several years. And so, but she was teaching pretty, some theory and how to read sheet music and some pretty basic songs like Ode to Joy and, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb and things like that. And so what I would do, because looking at sheet music looks like a foreign language to me. So I would basically, she'd play the song. This is what the song's supposed to sound like after you learn it. And then I'd go home and I would sound it out and then I would memorize it. And then I'd come back and for the class, I'd put the paper up on the music stand and I'd just play the song by memory. You know, that's how it works for me. Wow. That, um, all right, here's that, that's pretty wild. And, uh, given like, I mean, the, the way you sound on recordings and just like the things you could do with a guitar that is baffling to me. Here's what I want to do, Kenny, cause I want to give Zach room to, fanboy out and just get into like a deep discussion with you but before we do that i i do want to kind of get your perspective on you know important news of the day and get your thoughts on that and also talk a little bit about uh, your festival because this is obviously a really exciting uh thing you're putting together but so first let me ask you uh, about the story that we didn't get to in the first segment but i think as a touring musician setting up a festival you might have some perspective on this Ticketmaster and live nation have been in the news a lot lately. A lot of people are, a lot of artists have expressed some discontent about the company's business practices and the fees and the things like that that they're using. And I don't know, for example, if like Ticketmaster is involved with your event, so I, I don't want to get you in any kind of trouble here, but can you just give us some perspective on kind of the current state of touring as a musician and, and the role that some of these uh, venues and ticket providers are playing for uh, helping create the experience for your fans? Well, it's one of those situations where you have companies that are so big and you can't bite the hand that feeds you, you know, mm. Oh, my lights just went out. <laughs> so, you know, Ticket you master to... might've done that. <laughs> 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 they're about to, they're cutting your internet right now. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be careful <clears throat> because they're so big and yes, I mean, you know, we sell a lot of our tickets to our shows are sold on Ticketmaster. Um, But there's a, let me just put it this way. There is a lot of, of ways that revenue is generated in live concerts that the artist does not participate in whatsoever. And frankly, to me, it's a really interesting thing that none of it really gets talked about that much. Nobody's really, everybody kind of looks the other way. 
And it's kind of always been the case, you know, and that, that thing that you read earlier, I think it was from the chat GPT where he was talking about being, you know, an independent artist and, and stuff <laughs> like that. I mean, a, a lot of that was spot on. I mean, you know, not to slam record companies because, you know, I signed a major record contract when I was 16 years old and uh, the record company certainly helped me get where I'm at. But the game has changed today. There's so many resources available to unknown artists like social media, you know, where you can launch your own entire brand on your own. But back then and even still today, you go sign a record deal with a major record label. And it's the only thing that I can think of where it's they go, OK, we're going to sign you and we're going to we're going to we're going to pay for everything. We're going to pay for the record. We're going to pay for the marketing. We're going to use our contacts and get everything out there. But and we're going to take, you know, roughly about 97 percent or 95 percent of <laughs> all the low money. End, yeah. and, and, that, and that's ours. Right. You get like five percent. But you have to pay all that money back from your 5% before you'll see a dime. And guess what? When it's all paid back, we still own it, right? So that's like going and, and, and qualifying for a loan with the bank. And then you pay the entire mortgage back if it takes 30 years or whatever. And they go, oh, by the way, we still own we your still house. We still keep the house. I, I just, I don't get it. And it's, you know what? It's just been how it is for so long. And New unknown artists don't have the capacity, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the resources, and they don't have the funding to go up against something like that. You know, so that's why it's never it it doesn't ever seem like it's going to change. So if a 16-year-old Kenny Wayne Shepherd was trying to make it in the music industry today, do you think you would go about it the same way, like going to find the major label, or would you go a different path? Well, what I've done, well. If I was a new artist, I'm not sure that's a hard question to answer because it depends on the cards that you're dealt. Mm. You know, it depends on the situation that's presented to you, right? Like I'm, we have a good social media presence, but I'm not the most savvy social media person. It kind of is against, it goes against my personality. I'm a very private person, right? So, and, and I, you know, I'm not the kind of person that constantly wants to be airing out everything that I'm doing or broadcasting everything that I'm doing, even though that's probably the best thing for the brand. Um, but, you know, you can do stuff like that. If you're good at that, you know, you have an incredible opportunity. You look at all these YouTubers and these social media influencers that have these massive followings and they're making a career out of it, you know? And so if you're wired that way, there's no need to go to a record company. But if you don't have the resources, if you don't understand how the business works and you have a really great opportunity placed in front of you, and then maybe that is the right path to take if that's your only option to get your music out there or get your name out there. I mean, it's kind of a catch 22, but I would say the way I've done it now being an established artist is that I do it all myself. We, we run the whole thing, like from, you know, the management company to the merchandise company to making the records and we go in and we license the records. I'll, I might, I can do a different deal on every album that I decide to release and ultimately, I own the rights to that music moving forward, you know, so that's mine because, you know, I, I experienced that. We sold millions of records, um, you know, on my first several albums and, you know, I don't own those records. And uh, if I went back and, and tried to ask them politely to give them back to me, I don't know what their response might be. I know there's a movement in the industry uh, because there's some law that uh, or I can't remember what it is. I can't quote it right now, but but there's a lot of people um 
trying to go back and get their masters back. Yeah. The uh, termination right of copyright transfers. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's right. You got it. So Zach is about to spontaneously combust, I think, if I don't let him get in with questions. So I'm going to okay. I'm going to let my colleague here, big fan of yours, uh, talk to you a little bit. All I ask, Zach, is leave us a little bit of room at the end before we lose radio to uh, give Kenny a chance to talk about the festival and talk about his album. And of course, I have him do the final question with us. But other than that, that Zach, go for it, my man. Well, I actually wanted to start with the festival. Because one of the things, if you're not familiar with Kenny Wayne Shepard's music, he's released a series of albums where you're highlighting other blues players from mm -hmm. around the country. I mean, and there's some some of them are known, right? You have that fantastic version of The Thrill Is Gone with B.B. King. Um, but when you're putting together festivals like you are now or records like that, how do you go about choosing the people that you feature? Well, it depends on the project. I mean, obviously, we want people, we want great talent, and we want somebody that we feel um that we can help out you know or and that they're going to give a good um performance but it, it depends on the project so like there we did a project called 10 days out blues from the back roads uh that was a documentary film and a live album so we did them simultaneously we loaded a tour bus up with the film crew and we loaded another tour bus up with a bunch of recording gear and we drove throughout the south of the u.s and we went and met up with all these amazing blues players. Some of them were like unsung heroes, been doing it their whole lives, but not, not household names. And then some of them were like B.B. King and the guys from uh, Pine Top Perkins and the guys from uh, Muddy Waters Band and Hubert Sumlin and the guys from Helen Wolf's Band and so forth and so on. So my goal was to take some of these incredibly talented people that never got a massive break and uh, put them on, the, uh, on a level playing field, put them on the same project with legends like B.B. King and give them that association first of all, right? But so I was looking for talent. And then on that particular project, it was also, I wanted to record their songs. So right. I had to go through their entire catalog myself. I went through every, every artist that's on there. I went through their catalog and I chose the song that I thought would, would be great to do. And I also made sure that they own the publishing for that song so that they would get money from you know the record sales cool. and any spins and stuff like that i wanted them to benefit from that financially as well so um you know it was kind of there was a lot of things that were taken into consideration uh for that particular project but ultimately you know and this blues festival that you guys mentioned before is an extension of that that was called 10 days out blues from the back roads and this is the back roads blues festival and so this is kind of a continuation in, in several ways but the goal is to bring multi-generational artists together some of the greatest names in the genre today put on a festival that's going to bring families multi-generational audience you got kids you got parents you got grandparents because everybody can come to this show and it's going to be a fantastic show and we're helping to expose the young up-and-comers uh, right along, you know, with the modern day legends of the genre. That's fantastic. And I, I when I listen to your record, I listen to Born in Louisiana, right, with uh, Gatemouth Brown or uh, Clarence mm. Gatemouth Brown. Yeah. I can see that even just in listening to it, you have tremendous respect for these players that you're sharing this opportunity with. And I got to ask, for some of these shows, you're, do, you're doing it with Joe Bonamassa. Mm -hmm. How did it, I'm asking this as an indie artist, Obviously, you're making a huge, this is a big deal. How did you go about putting that together? And what lessons could a smaller independent artist learn about putting together something similar that's a more local thing rather than a national tour like you were doing? Well, I think that, you know, anything, 
anything that's a good idea can can be done. You know, it's like anybody, if you have a great idea and you start talking to people you want to have involved, they're going to recognize that it's a great idea and they're going to want to be involved. And it doesn't matter how small it is in the beginning. It, there's always room to grow. Um, but this particular thing, we started the inaugural year was last year. And so we had Buddy Guy, who is by all accounts, you know, the modern day king of the blues. He's, you know, one of the last true uh, you know, legitimate connections to, to his era of blues musicians that we have today. And then we had uh, Chris Stone Kingfish Ingram, who is a blazing hot up and comer uh, in the blues world. And then me and my band, right? So you had three generations, some of the hottest names out there. And that was a good way to kick it off. And so, you know, we set the bar pretty high. And so we definitely, um, you know, but we want people, we want to establish the brand as something that people know if before they even know what the lineup is, they know it's going to be a killer festival and they're going to want to go. So they're going to get their tickets no matter what. Right. But this year uh, with a couple of select shows. So um, we're doing different lineups for different cities. And the first two of this year are Joe Bonamassa, King Solomon Hicks and myself. And so Joe, again, he's one of the hottest names in the genre. Joe and I have been friends for a long time. We've gotten uh, a lot closer in, in recent years and been spending more and more time together. And what we've, you know, I think we both kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, th everybody stands to benefit from guys li like us or, or, or all of us really do coming together and doing things together, you know, because there's enough fans for everybody. And a lot of us share the same fans and the fans want to see that. Right. And so, you know, we get along great. And so why not make some music together? So I've done some things with him, some shows that he's done, you know, some productions that he's put together. And now he's coming and doing this with me. And I think everybody benefits from that. You know, the fans certainly the most. So, you know, small artists or smaller artists should focus, if they're doing something locally, make sure the lineup and the show is going to be killer. And then it also well, sounds like yeah. get, get along with each other. Is that another piece of advice you got there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah, because ultimately people just want to, when people come, they want to be entertained. They want to hear good music, but they want to see you having a good time. Right. So if you're having a good time, they're sure. having a good time. And so if you put something together and people walk away feeling like they got in this situation, my goal is to give them more than what they paid for. And so, you know, they're, then they're going to come back. They're going to be looking forward to the next time and they're going to tell somebody else about it. And hopefully they're going to show up the next year as well. And, you know, everything that we've done, even back in the day with the help of the record company, I mean, I built my career off of my touring. And that's because yeah. we have built a reputation of being a great live act. We, we make great records. We put on even better concerts. And, yeah. and that's the kind of thing where people come to the show and they go, man, this was an amazing show. They go tell some friends about it. It's a real grassroots approach. And then those people come the next time and you're expanding your audience and you're filling the venues, you know, and you're constantly turning new people onto your music. And, you know, I guess in the in the modern day world, that would be, you know, likes and shares and things like that. But we still do some things the old fashioned way. Have you noticed a difference in touring in the past 10, 15 years as social media is becoming a more and more prominent part of the music business? Has it impacted well, your touring or even attendance? Yeah, well, once we learned how to use it as a marketing tool it's been really beneficial um, because now we step in as well and we work with the promoters to market our shows. And so before, you know, again, you were just like, you book a gig and, and you would sign a contract and a promoter's bringing you to town and then it's up to them. 
and possibly the record company uh, back when when radio was really a thing for artists like me um you know the record company might step in and do some reach out to local radio stations and stuff like that but you were kind of dependent upon the promoter maybe the venue and to a lesser extent, the record company to get the word out and let the people know that you're coming. Now, you know, we have, uh, I think we're like 1.3 or 1.4 million on Facebook. I'm a little slower on Instagram. My demographic leans more towards Facebook, but, and again, I don't, I don't work it, you know, the way some people do, but just with that audience, that direct contact, of course, that's a, that's a whole nother story though, because you know, I know they have to monetize things and they have to show a profit and stuff, but Facebook, everybody, the, the big saying is that Facebook is one of the biggest bait and switches ever because, you know, they said, hey, come to our platform and build your audience and, you know, we'll connect just, you know, direct connection with your people. And now you build, you know, you get a million people following you on Facebook and you post something up and you might reach a hundred of them unless you pay like a hundred dollars or maybe a thousand dollars and then you can reach more of your own audience and stuff like that. So, but we've leveraged it for marketing uh, records releases. Uh, we've leveraged it for concerts and it certainly has been proven to be effective. That's for sure. But you really have to know how to market. You have to know how to target the areas. You got to target the right audience. You got to target the right radius around the show. Um, and you got to figure out how to spend your money wisely. Producer Lauren and I were actually talking a little bit about what you were saying there, Kenny, last week about Facebook and how they just recently announced a paid verification feature where at this point, musicians are going to start feeling an incentive to purchase. I think it's like a $14.99 per month paid verification uh, to because if they don't, the idea is that they may very few people will actually see their posts out there. And so you have to just pay that minimum amount to even have any traction. And that's before you even pay for ads and visibility like you were talking about as well. You know, Facebook's right. becoming a, a much more financially intensive proposition than it used to be. Yeah. And, you know, you keep waiting to see who's because uh, inevitably somebody's going to come along and come up with the next social media thing. I mean, TikTok kind of seems like that, but it's a different, it's a whole, that's a whole different thing altogether. Um, I well, still kind of like it on TikTok. Yeah. We, we just started an account like just not uh, several months ago. And, uh, you know, I haven't really been working that, but my management has kind of set up the account. They've started putting some content on there, but, but yeah, it's one of those, it's really, it's a weird thing. And by the way, it's really interesting to me how everybody was slamming Elon Musk when he came up with that whole idea for Twitter and they were, you know, they, they slam him every chance he can get. And now everybody's jumping on board, wanting to get these, uh, these fees for these verified <laughs> yeah, they, accounts. They, they were just waiting for somebody to be the first one to yes. jump into the pool. And now everybody's yeah. going into the pool party. For right, sure. right. But you know, I don't, it used to be that the verified thing was important because people would know that was your official account, but the amount of spam that exists in fake accounts on social media is unbelievable. I mean, every single day I get multiple messages from fans saying, you know, I got this direct message that's supposed to be from Kenny. Do you have a second account? You know, they're asking me to go into a private chat on, you know, Telegram or something like that. And all of it's fake, you know, all of it's fake. And you would think that, that most people would know it's like, if you got to have that blue check and if you have the blue check, then you're talking to the real person, but it does, it doesn't seem to be that effective. These, these scammers are getting more and more creative, you know, with that stuff. Absolutely, man. I did not know we were going to get a, 
a dissertation of the of the dangers and progression of social media from Kenny Wayne Shepard. This is really, really exciting, uh, cutting edge stuff. I mean, between the festival that you got launched, uh, which we're pretty excited about, and just the the perspective that you lent on how the industry is changing, you've given us a lot to think about. And the last thing I want to talk to you about before we get to our final question is your new album, which I think is pretty interesting. The Trouble Is 25 album. It is a, it's not as much a re-release of your Trouble Is album as it is a reimagination of your album. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, the goal was, obviously, it's a big, it's a milestone. 25 years of doing anything is a big thing. And uh, 25 years of this record in particular, I mean, it was a huge record for us. Uh, it was monumental for me and my band. And I would, I would almost say it was for the genre as well. It was a really huge yeah. record. We had a big run with it. Uh, sold millions of copies. You know, Blue on Black was a huge number one hit at rock radio. Um, you know, we set records, you know, with this album and with that song. And so, you know, most artists will go and generally when they have an anniversary release, they'll kind of repackage the same record with a little bit different artwork or something like that. Or maybe they'll do a vinyl release and, you know, that's that. But we wanted to do something real special. Um, and there's a business case for it too, going in and re-recording a record, which we kind of talked, well, hinted on a little bit earlier, you know, um, but it, you know, it made sense. And, and so what we did is, is we went into the studio and the goal was to do a new version of trouble is. And so I was, it's an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity to do one of two things. If you're the kind of artist, there's, it always baffled me that I would hear about artists that would record records and never listen to their own music. They don't even want to hear it. And I'm like, well, I, I don't understand. Why did you make the music if you can't stand listening to it? You know, um, I, I enjoy li- I don't sit around blasting my music all the time, but I, I do yeah, Zach enjoy, does listening. That. I do, I yeah, do enjoy listening to my <laughs> records. And so, but if there ever was an opportunity, if there was something bugging you for the last 25 years about that record that you wish you had a chance to go back and do it differently, this is the opportunity. So we went in the studio and we did two versions of the record. We did one version where I said, we're going to get as close as we can without pulling our hair out to the original sound of the record. Then we're going to do a version of the record where this is how the songs have evolved over the past 25 years. Cause when you play them live, they start to change and take on a life of their own. But what was, it was really interesting experiment because what ended up happening is, is when I listened back to the two versions, the further away we got from the sound of the original record, the more we lost the vibe of what was really special about that record. And so my intention really was not to go back in and do a carbon copy of the original record. So I was kind of in a situation. I was like, well, you know, this is interesting because well, it was also enlightening because it made me realize some of the things that we change live that when you're on stage, you're like, yeah, this is awesome, dude, do that thing there. And I'll do this thing here. And you're like, <laughs> But the vibe is not there, right? And the vibe is what made that song so special. And so we had to press the reset button on a lot of songs in the live show and get back to square one. Um, But anyway, what I elected to do is I went with the version that sounded closest to the record. And then we took some, uh, some small liberties here and there. Like maybe I played a slightly different guitar solo or he sang a line or two slightly differently. So what happens is you put the record on and it immediately sounds familiar. You go, oh yeah, that's that record, that's Trouble Is. I know that record. And and if you leave it on for the whole record, as you're listening, then all of a sudden you hear these little things that sound different, especially if you know the record well, and then you realize you're having a new listening experience. 
that's and so that's cool. so cool. Can't can't wait for people to check it out. You can find out more about our guest work by visiting KennyWayneShepherd.net. He's given you a lot to check out, whether it's the new tour, whether it's the new album, lot to make you smile about here. Kenny, this has been a real treat. You've taken us on quite a journey and we've enjoyed every second of it. Before we let you go, one last question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Well, I think leverage everything you have at your disposal, you know, leverage everything. Right. And so, and go all in and don't let anybody tell you, uh, if you have an artistic vision, you follow that through. Like you, you don't let anybody change that. Um, you know, listen to people always listen and take advice and, and, and take in what people have to say, but you make the final call. Right. I mean, I always said like, you know, people would try to talk me into a lot of different things and I'm sure they had my best interests in mind. Right. In the beginning of my career, I didn't sing lead vocals because when I opened my mouth, I, I was 16 when I signed my record deal and I was 17 when I did the first record. So I was 18 when it came out and I could play beyond my years. But when I sang, I sounded like a kid and that was not the voice I heard from my record. And everybody was saying, you got to sing, you got to sing. I, I didn't sing. And I was firm about that because I, I felt very clearly that that was not going to be right for my music at that time. Now I sing lead vocals as well as the other guy in the band, Noah Hunt. But I think if I would have allowed myself to be talked into that, I don't know that we'd be sitting here talking today. I don't know the first album would have been as successful as it was. Right. So take people's advice but do with it what you will, you know, make up your mind and leverage everything work. I mean, the, the, the key to young artists nowadays is exposure and exposure is through social media. You know, you got to build yourself a following, go to Instagram, you know, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, all of those things and get your stuff out there. Um, but don't compromise your stuff, but your beliefs and your artistry, because the thing is, is like, if you let somebody, the, the greatest example is like, there was some artist, I can't remember who it was, but like they got talked into recording a song that they didn't want to record. And they, they, they finally caved and they recorded it and they let it be put on the record. And it was their biggest hit song. And then they had to play the song that they hated for the rest <laughs> of their career. And it's like, yes, on one hand, they had a big hit song with it, but this guy was miserable playing this song for the rest of his life. And to me, I would rather enjoy what I'm playing. Our thanks to you, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, for your insight. Thanks to you, Zach Sloan and producer Lauren. And thanks to all of our viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. It has been a blast. We'll see you next week.